Welcome to the live Q&A vlog for June 2020. Uh, looks like there are a few people in here already, so we can um, start off uh, really as soon as people start asking questions. Um, I do have a starter question uh, to, to bring things in, and uh, that one is, uh, how did you find your current board game group? Uh, that was kind of a, a seeding question that we can start things off. Uh, hi to everyone coming in. Um, well, uh, the answer to that is uh, meetup.com. Um, that's how I met most of the people I play board games with. Um, I used that website back in 2009 because I wanted to find people to play board games with. And uh, uh, there turned out to be one in uh, Berkeley. So I joined in over there, drove about an hour each way for the first eight or so months to go and play board games with people. But that was a, a really good way to meet some people that I've actually been friends with for well over a decade at this point. So uh, yeah, the internet is a great way to find different groups. I don't even know what it's like now. Ah, here we go. Uh, John Wheeler asks, I know you said July... Uh, but do you have a date for when you are going to do the video for Tekhenu? Um, <laughs> unfortunately, my my answer for that one is still just July. Um, I have not been told what the what time the Kickstarter date is, so I'm not keeping anything away from you. I just know um, that that is when they want the video to come out at this point, and I'm sure I'll have a more fine-tuned date on that soon. I've seen photos of the prototype of Tekhenu out in the wild. It's a dice-drafting game with a big obelisk in the middle. I've actually played it. I played it online once, and uh, it was a pretty interesting experience. I'm glad I got to play it before I do a playthrough for it, but at this point, I can just say July. Um, uh, next up, we have a question asking if there's any chance for a Barrage tutorial. Um, I think that's very unlikely to happen. I don't have a copy of Barrage um, really available to me at this point, and I have had many talks with Cranio Creations over the years about doing sponsored videos with them, and uh, on several occasions, they have sounded uh, very interested in it, but it's never actually uh, happened. So that, you know, just um, these things don't always make sense, and uh, it didn't seem like it actually uh, did for Barrage. So at this point, it seems unlikely, but you never know. It might happen at some point in the future. Um, all right, not a question, but uh, just a thank you. That behind the scene video was really amazing to watch. I'm really glad to hear that. I've actually gotten, uh, well, universal uh, 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 good things being told to me about that video. I, I put a lot of effort into it and it was really fascinating to do. And uh, people that I was not expecting have fully watched that video. My mom told me that she watched it all the way through and she's like, well, I wasn't gonna watch a 40 minute video, but I was curious. And then before I knew it, I'd watched a 40 minute video about how you do your job. And uh, that made me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, that one's gone over super well and I like having it in my back pocket now to just like be able to link it to people when they ask, how do I do X or Y? I can say, well, I talk about everything in there. Although I do think it's, the timing is a little bit unfortunate considering I got this brand new backdrop and I did, uh, change my audio around in my studio about three weeks after I made my behind the scenes video. So unfortunately it's already slightly out of date, but it's, it's close enough. Uh, so we have some more questions. Uh, the Mr. E said, any remote gaming yet? Well, I'm at this point, I'm still playing a lot of games online. Um, uh, pretty much once to twice a week, I'm meeting up with friends to play board games online. It's, it helps me out because um, John Gets Games is kind of my full-time job now, and that means I hang out in this room by myself for most of the day. Like, I leave and I have lunch with my wife, and, you know, we we say hey throughout the day, but it's, it's a solitary experience, so I do like to play games online with people to mix that up. Um, oh, John Wheeler, thank you. He says, Tekkenu is not a Kickstarter. The release is on July 30th. Well... You heard it first, here first, or at least I did. <laughs> I just assumed it was a Kickstarter, but um, Board and Dice sometimes do straight to release, like they did with Trantopia, and sometimes they do Kickstarters, and I just made an assumption that was wrong. Um, next question comes from James, and they say, have you done or do you plan to do any virtual conventions? If so, which ones? Um, honestly, I have no plans to do any virtual conventions. Um, I don't really understand them, if that makes sense. Like, I haven't really looked into them much. Um, I've been very busy, uh, kind of nose to the grindstone, getting everything done that I can um, with John Gets Games, so I haven't really taken the time to look into it. But my understanding is these virtual conventions have a lot of, like, online planned uh, maybe uh, talks and whatnot, and maybe, like, some, uh, some consolidated ways to, like, play games with people online, perhaps. I am not a, uh, a resource on this because I just haven't really looked into it. And honestly, it didn't really uh, appeal to me that much. I figure I play games online with my friends already. Um, and I do love going to board game conventions, but I, I've yet to um, be really shown the allure of going to them. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I just haven't really looked into it yet. So uh, don't read into that at all. I'm not against them in any way. Um, perhaps if I learn more about them, I will be interested. But um, up to this point, I haven't really given it any attention. Uh, moving on. Uh, Niv asks, 
are there any games you would love to do a playthrough for, but never get the time to? Um, yeah, there's a couple. I mean, think about my board game collection. I, I kind of always expected that at some point I would get around to doing a playthrough for Through the Ages, uh, specifically Through the Ages, uh, a new story. Um, it's one of my favorite games. It's not my, my favorite game um, of all time anymore, but it's, you know, classically one of my favorite games. I've played that plus the old version well over 30 times, mostly online. Uh, and I kind of always figured I would get around to doing that at some point, but I haven't. Um, that probably applies to some of the other games. I mean, some other games, yeah, I have. Um, Finca is a great game that I did a review for, but I did, did, have not done a playthrough for. I think that's an exceptional game that would be fun to do. Uh, Pioneers and uh, Passing Through Petra are two more games that I really like that uh, would be fun to do playthroughs for. It just hasn't really made sense to. So I'm sure there are more, but those are the first few that uh, fly off the top of my head. Uh, all right. Cruising on. Let me just check through here. Uh, Luke says, I watched your make a playthrough with me and was wondering if you ever have to learn several games at once, especially if you're waiting to hear back from publishers. That's a great question, Luke. Um, the answer is yes, uh, essentially. Like these days when things are going well for me logistically, I am certainly staggering things. Uh, for instance, right now on the table, just outside of the camera view is a game called Hybris, which is going to be on Kickstarter later on in the month of June or so. And I learned this one the moment I finished filming the previous game that I did, and I'm already, oh, that's right, it was uh, In Too Deep. Uh, so in that case, I like did the playthrough for In Too Deep, and then I finished recording it. I set this new game up, I learned it, I then sent questions to the publisher, while I haven't even edited In Too Deep just yet, and I intend to actually film the tutorial for Hybris tomorrow before working on In Too Deep after that. I essentially try to stagger things so that I always have something to do. So if I uh, finish an edit and send it over to a publisher, I don't want to be sitting here with nothing to do. So hypothetically, in that moment, I can start learning the next game, and uh, vice versa, if I'm you know in the middle of a, a recording session, but for some reason I can't record in, a, in that minute, I hypothetically have uh, editing that I can do. So I try to jostle this stuff back and forth, but it does mean that I do have several games loaded into my brain at any one point in time, uh, which can be interesting. And honestly, I used to love to just sit down and learn new games, like read the rules to a game I'm interested in, and I found myself sometimes sitting on the couch at night thinking, I should learn the rules to that game, especially something I might want to play in TTS, and I just can't bring myself to do it. I'm just like, I just, I already spent two and a half hours today learning a different game, like all the nitty gritty details and writing up questions and setting it up, and uh, it seems like that part of my brain is getting fatigued, but uh, I do try to try to stagger this stuff around. Um, all right, James asks, uh, does your... <laughs> yes, does your girlfriend, does your wife like playing games with you? I'm, I'm married. We've been married for almost five years now. Um, what's her favorite game to play with you? Um, we don't play that many board games um, lately. Uh, we, we generally, the kind of games we play are more uh, puzzle type stuff, like escape games. We play those a lot. Those are a lot of fun. Um, when we have um, big game days and whatnot, um, oftentimes uh, my wife, Jessica, will join in. Um, but uh, oftentimes she would just rather work on some other things. Like she likes board games quite a lot, but she does not love them like I do. So sometimes I'll be playing games and she'll be working on something else that um, satisfies her brain in a way that, that board gaming satisfies me. So um, yeah, we don't have like any repeat games that we oftentimes go to uh, besides the um, uh, exit games. We've played a lot of exit games, just two player. We, we really enjoy those. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Sam asks, uh, I just moved to the San Jose area, temporary, uh, temporary relocation for your wife's job. With no collection, I've been renting games from a store in town. Thoughts on rentals as a service. Would you use it? Um, I don't see a reason for me to use it in my current position, but I could totally see a world, uh, a different um, uh, parallel universe where I would use that. Um, I have been a sucker for new games pretty much since I got into the hobby. Like I, I first fell in love with Catan and I played that for a year and then I got Stone Age, which I played for like six months. But once I fell down the rabbit hole and started playing Dominion and, and other stuff and started going to weekly game nights with a lot of other stuff, I just can't, couldn't help but learn new games constantly all the time. So the idea of a rental service to try a game to see if I like it, that does seem a lot cheaper than buying the game and uh, uh, actually uh, putting it out there. So I, I, I think I probably would do something like that. Um, it's my understanding that a local board game uh, cafe, uh, Victory Point, actually, they're the ones who um, I have my shirt for right here. I'm a big fan of uh, them. They uh, I did the Kickstarter video for them like years and years ago, and they gave me the shirt. Um, they, they rent out games, and I think it's 
uh, very inexpensive for a week. I can't remember the actual details, but it's something I would certainly do if I didn't have myself in an opportunity where I, I always have new stuff to play. So I think especially in your situation where you don't have a, much of a collection at this point, it's an excellent way to try stuff out. Um, so yeah, I, I would use it, but I, I likely won't, if that makes sense. Um, the next question, did you meet Ignacy Trevicek? Uh, yeah, I, I've met Ignacy Trevicek many times. He is the... Um, the, the person uh, behind Portal Games, I think he's the CEO. Uh, he's also um, been the designer for many of their games, like Robinson Crusoe and Imperial Settlers. And um, we we had a professional relationship at one point. Um, I actually did some uh, like marketing videos, like spotlight three minute or so long videos for uh, some of his games many years ago. And uh, he's he's a nice guy. Uh, you know, every time I walk by his booth at a convention, I wave and he waves back. Um, but um, beyond that, um, we're essentially we have a professional relationship and. Uh, uh, we've we've emailed back and forth many times, but it's always been about you know the logistics of the plans and the stuff that we are doing at uh, any given time. I actually um, uh, helped them demo for their booth um, at my first BGG Con, which was back in twenty. 14-ish, I think. And I spent like two hours teaching uh, Imperial Settlers to new people and, and he was there. So that was kind of like when I first met him. Uh, that was the start of, of our professional relationship. Uh, moving on, uh, Stacy asks, will you do Nevada City? There are no videos of it. Um, the short answer to that one is maybe. Uh, they reached out to me about sending me a copy. I politely declined a copy for Impressions Vlog coverage because right now I'm not playing games with other people, it, like, it, it doesn't feel right for me to have them pay money to send me a copy of a game that I won't get played until things get better and I can start going to weekly board game nights again. Um, I did uh, uh, offer up my services as uh, making sponsored playthroughs. It's something they may go for. It's something they may not go for. I'm not really sure, but um, I do have um, a, a relationship with uh, Rio Grande at this point, and it's possible. I'm not really sure, but it's possible. That game does look interesting. Uh, moving on, Marcelo asks, have you tried the Through the Ages expansion? Uh, no, no, I haven't, actually. Um, I have been excited about the Through the Ages expansion for years, ever since I first heard about it, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the game. And uh, I know that, I don't know, like a year ago or so, or a while ago, they put the expansion up onto the uh, internet on the iOS version of Through the Ages. And I used to play that one a decent bit. And I thought about playing the expansion on iOS, but... I don't know, it just didn't feel right. I was like, no, I want to play the expansion with my friends around a table to try that out. Um, and at this point, now that the expansion is actually out, well, again, I'm not really playing games around the table with my friends, so it hasn't made sense to go out and get it. So I do see myself getting it at some point, and the next time I play with other people, I will certainly use it. But um, I don't know, there's just so much other stuff coming out that it seems like my excitement for that has uh, quelled a little bit. I I'm definitely interested in trying it out, but it just hasn't happened yet. All right, uh, moving on. The Mr. E says, do you have a go-to filler or a preferred one that you keep pushing uh, pre-quarantine? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the first one that jumps into my head is Colorado. That's a game that I've played many, many times. I think it's brilliant. It's super easy to teach and it plays really well. Um, I can't remember if it plays up to five players, uh, but it definitely plays great at um, three and four players. For a while, I actually kept a copy of Colorado in my work backpack for my other job. Um, you know, back when I used to do events, um, I would keep that in there on the off chance that I would have some downtime to kill with some work friends, um, you know, between a shift or something like that, um, where I'd bust it out and I'd play it. And I, I did that probably three or four times with uh, a variety of coworkers, and it always went over amazingly. I remember one time I taught it to uh, two coworkers, and they were a little skeptical, but they were curious. Um, it's a card game with just color. Uh, geckos and, and, uh, and I told oh, chameleons, sorry, colored ch chameleons. And I, I told them, I was like, I'm going to teach you the rules. We're going to play this. And within 10 minutes, you are going to be swearing at the top of your lungs at each other. And they, they seemed incredulous, but it happened. Part of that's because I know my coworkers, <laughs> but also part of it's because it's a brilliant game that uh, really gets you in the heads of your opponents, but it also only takes about 20 minutes. So uh, I'm going to stick with Colorado. That's one that uh, I am never getting rid of. I love my copy of that. Um, all right. Moving on. You must learn your good share of bad games when you do Kickstarter videos. How do you handle this? Isn't it a bit frustrating? Well, I don't know. This one's kind of a funny one to answer. I try so very hard not to cover bad games on my channel, like, like a game that I think is just not good. Um, I get a lot of requests every week, uh, on average, probably a couple a day. It, it seems like they clump up. Like I'll get like three in one day and then not nothing for the next day. But um, I get... 
uh, yeah, maybe an average of one a day, so seven a week or so requests. And I always ask the uh, people emailing me for a copy of the rules so that I can skim through the rules to get an idea if I want to cover the game or not. Um, there have been a couple times in the past where I've actually received the game and I learned the game like in person to get ready for the filming, and I'm like, oof, this maybe isn't as solid as I thought it was like going in, but... I don't know, I just try to do my best. I mean, I figure pretty much every game out there has an audience. Um, for even a game that I don't think is particularly good, somebody is probably going to really like. So the way I get through it is I just try to do my best to make the game seem interesting. Like, I try not to, like, fake it. I just try to, like, lean into the strengths of the game. Um, is this a, did I somehow stumble into doing a highly tactical take that game, which has happened in the past? Not usually my favorite kind of game, but, well, if that's the case, then I just try to lean into the tactics and the take that because I want people to know what the game is like, but also try to, like, highlight the best parts. Like, if the take that's really good, then let's show it. And a lot of people are going to be turned off from that, but some people will really like it. So that's the way I do it. I mean, in general, I like to think that every game that I cover is, is at least good. Um, um, and potentially amazing for a certain subset of people. Um, you know, I, I try to mix that. I mean, I, I definitely don't say yes to everyone. There are many games that come in that I re glance the rules and from the art or just the subtext or whatever, I just instantly say, nope, I don't want to cover that. And uh, if I was less picky, then, then then I would have this problem more. But in general, I'd say probably once a year do I sit there and think, ooh, I really shouldn't have said yes to this. But you know, I just try to plow through, and um, more often than not, there's people who comment saying that they found the video useful. So that's that's really the best that I can do in those situations. Elliot asks, have you ever tried designing your own game? Does board game design interest you, or are you more interested in playing and content creating? Uh, yes. Now, this is an interesting question. Um, I have definitely tried my hand at uh, designing games. In fact, to um, slightly out a previous um, venture of mine, um, I actually had a uh, design blog. Um, it was called Happy Hexagon. Um, that's actually my username on BoardGameGeek. Um, that's part of the reason they went together because in the back of my head, I was like, maybe someday I'll make a publishing company and I'll call it Happy Hexagon Games. I just thought that was like a really nice name uh, to, <laughs> to go overall. Um, yeah, no, I, I wanted to be a board game uh, designer. I fell in love with board games in 2008 and by about 2010, I had decided I wanted to design games. Um, I started the blog so that I could um, log all of my notes on the, I don't know, like four or five games that I, I sort of work my way through. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like I completed one uh, game and it's on BoardGameGeek and I listed myself as a designer, which is why if you look at my username on BoardGameGeek, it says designer, which... I feel a little bit weird about considering it's not a fully published game, but it's, it's a game called Mutation. It's a dice stacking game. Um, but yeah, for you know a couple of years on and off, much more in the beginning, I I I kept that blog up. There were a couple of different um, uh, games I was really interested in. Um, I had very specific uh, design ethoses that I was going for. Like I I was very strong willed about my idea about board games, and it's actually really interesting to think about, because back at that point in 2011 or so, I was very anti-Victory Point. I thought Victory Points were a design crutch, like, oh, you can't figure out a good ending to your game, so just slap Victory Points on there, and whoever gets the most points wins, um, which, you know, is a bit of a <laughs> silly perspective to have, but it's the perspective I had back in 2011. So um, the games that I made, the, game, the designs that I worked on, none of them had points. I always had an objective that you were uh, going for. I guess Mutation sort of had points. You played until a certain point you had to have the largest subset, but I don't know, it didn't quite feel victory pointy to me. And um, looking back on that, I have no problem with victory points anymore. Obviously, it's been 10 years, 9 or 10 years since that point, so it's been interesting to see how my perspective on things has shifted. But um, yeah, I, I, I stopped designing board games because I found the uh, prototype iteration process to be um, not interesting. Like, I'd, you know, come up with a design for a game, and I'd play test it with some friends, and there'd be problems, and I'd tweak it and I make a new prototype and I did that a few times and I just got so fatigued with that process and I think to a certain extent I kind of exhausted the goodwill of my friends like you know I'd show up to a game night and say hey you want to try this prototype that I made instead of like hey let's play this game that we all know and like my friends humored me uh, many times and I, I appreciate that and it was fun uh, but ultimately what I realized is that I love board game design but I don't really want to be a designer I love picking apart other people's designs I mean that's part of the reason I started doing board game reviews back in uh, 2014, which is not that far away from 2011 when you think about it. 
And that let me pick apart the games that I was playing and try to see how I felt like they could be different. Um, that, that really fueled my reviews for a long time. And to a certain extent, that's part of the reason I stopped doing reviews because it felt like I was, uh, you know, uh, the, there's a, some uh, thing about, you know, the barn doors are open, but the horses, like closing the barn doors, but the horses already left the barn. Uh, I felt like I was, you know, giving design and development notes for a game that was fully published that couldn't be changed. And that felt very frustrating to me. So um, anyway, that was a very long-winded answer to your question. Um, maybe someday I'll get back to it, but realistically what I love doing is playing other people's prototypes and giving them my honest opinion about where there are problems, where things could get better. Um, I, I still love doing that. I, I, I think looking behind the scenes at a game as it's being made is, is so fascinating uh, to me from a mechanics perspective. And that's ultimately in board gaming, I'm a mechanics nut. That, that's the thing that I really like. Uh, so yeah, I think that uh, prob probably answered your question. Sorry about that. Um, all right, moving on. Marcelo says, question, what do you think about Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion? Um, I think that Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is the Gloomhaven that I wish had existed four years ago or three years ago when I first started playing my Gloomhaven campaign. I think it looks brilliant. I, ha I haven't actually played the copy that I have here. In fact, I haven't even punched anything out. But from what I know about it, it's a shorter campaign. It's like about 15 or so scenarios. It stripped out a lot of the extra complicating stuff that comes into Gloomhaven, but still has the core um, uh, you know, beat of Gloomhaven, which I think is brilliant, honestly. And, um, you know, we played our Gloomhaven campaign about 35 times. It didn't even come close to finishing the campaign. And I found that very dissatisfying. So the idea of playing a 15 uh, scenario Gloomhaven campaign sounds perfect to me. Like that, you know, that, that'll, that'll take you maybe a few months to get through, but you'll like go through the arc and it'll end. And, you know, you put a little ribbon on it and it's done. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, I never quite finished Gloomhaven and it's sitting in my closet still and I don't think we're ever going to get back to it. And that kind of bums me out. So yeah, I, I think if Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion had existed um, and I had the option of those two back when I started my Gloomhaven campaign, I certainly would have gone for Jaws of the Lion. And I think it was a really good idea for them to, to put it out. Um, at this point, I do hope to actually try to play Jaws of the Lion once I can play games with other people, um, but I can't really commit to that at, at this point. But I think I'm more likely to try and do a campaign of Jaws of the Lion than I am to try and make the uh, original campaign uh, get back to life, if that makes sense. Uh, moving on, Luke says, when you make sponsored playthroughs, does that help you get an idea of whether you'd like a game or do you need the game night with friends to really know? Um, yeah, I think for the most part, it depends. <laughs> it really depends. Uh, sometimes I will do a sponsored playthrough for a game and I'll just be like, I'm going to love this game. This game looks so cool. I I'm all about it. And oftentimes I'll play a sponsored playthrough and I'll be like, I really don't know. Like maybe this will click. Maybe this really won't. Uh, and sometimes I do playthroughs and I think I have, I have no interest in playing this game again <laughs> because it just does not align with my personal tastes. But again, with John Gets Games, the YouTube channel, I try to um, cover a wide variety of games from like quick fillers to like, you know, heavy Euro games to stuff in the middle, which might be like heavy on conflict and maybe even dudes on the map type stuff, which I don't have particular interest in. So it really varies. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be as objective as possible when I, you know, when I'm in those videos, those sponsored videos, because of course I'm being paid for them, but uh, I'm not being paid for this live Q&A. So I can tell you right now that um, the the last time I was really hit over the head with like, wow, I want to play this game with somebody else was when I uh, filmed my sponsored playthrough for Dead Reckoning. Uh, that game isn't going to come out on Kickstarter until July. I don't know how much information is out there about it yet, but I fully finished that playthrough and I I'm very much looking forward to playing the final version of that with friends. That one looks so cool. So that was one where I don't, I, I have no doubt that I think I would just really love playing that with other people. But then there are other games, which I can't really come up with off the top of my head where that's not exactly the case. So it's definitely a sliding scale, but that is also part of the reason why I try to be objective. Well, obviously the ethical things, but also, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm controlling every single player. I'll, most games have hidden information to a certain extent and I, and nothing is hidden to me. You know, I try to like, put blinders on to a certain extent when I'm making my decisions. But, you know, the, the playthrough experience that I show is is not entirely authentic <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I try to show the game in, in its best light to show off the interesting aspects to it. But, you know, it, you know, I know how many points people have. I know how many coins they have behind their screens. I know what cards they have in their hand. And, you know, that definitely is a part of the magic that can make a lot of board games happen. All right. Uh, moving on. The next question is... Uh, uh, Nahatik, you said, I'm designing a city building game like Kalos. Are there any games similar to Kalos that you've enjoyed? What did you like about those games? 
Well, this one, I'm not sure how much I can say about this because I've never actually played Kalos, really. Uh, I downloaded it on my iPhone, like on iOS, and I played through the tutorial enough to have a vague idea of how it works. Um, the, the way the, the provost kind of moves around and how you can build stuff onto the worker placement track. But I don't know too much more than that. And again, I know it's a worker placement game where the worker placement spots change. Uh, so I guess I could uh, lean into that aspect. <laughs> again, not being a super Kalos uh, aficionado. Um, the, the first thing that pops into my head is Little Town, which is, I'm sure, way lighter than Kalos overall. Um, but I'm not sure if it's less mean. I know a lot of people talk about how Kalos is super mean, and I found Little Town to be surprisingly uh, sharp, and I liked it. Um, and it's a game with just a wide open square grid where at the start of the game, there's pretty much nothing to do with your workers on the map besides get stuff. But then you can spend the stuff that you get to place buildings on the map that you can activate for free if you go next to them or your opponents can activate by paying you money. And the game, the board gets more and more crowded, but it also gives you more and more options. But there are lots of opportunities where somebody right before you goes to the spot that you wanted and your entire turn is wrecked and you only take... I don't know, like nine or 12 turns in that entire game. So um, that's the first one that pops into my head uh, of a, a, a cutthroat worker placement game where the uh, the worker placement map evolves over time. And I, I certainly like that one. At some point, I'd like to try Kalos. I know that the new version of Kalos is on Tabletop Simulator and part of me has been curious to try that, but I haven't really dug into it to read the rules and all that. All right, moving on. Marcelo asks... Apps, Tabletop Simulator, or Tabletopia? I'm assuming you're asking about how I play uh, games online. Um, it's 99% Tabletop Simulator at this point. I played a decent amount of Tabletopia at first, and I played on uh, like Board Game Arena a couple times, but I'm just very familiar with Tabletop Simulator at this point, and uh, there's a lot of different games to try out there, and uh, most of my friends seem to prefer to play games on Tabletop Simulator, so uh, that's the one that I have gravitated towards the most. Uh, part of me keeps feeling like maybe I should try to revisit other options like Board Game Arena, where the app knows the rules, so, you know, it can actually... Uh, do some of the, the legwork of like, you know, dealing out cards and scoring different things. That does seem nice, but um, I haven't really poked into that too much. I tend to uh, uh, just go to Tabletop Simulator. I've played it so much now that it's kind of like a, a comfy space. Like I log in and it just feels natural. Uh, and I, know, I, know, I know a lot of people have a tough time dealing with it at first, but at this point I've played, I don't know, like well over a hundred hours in Tabletop Simulator. So I'm very used to it. Uh, all right. Moving on, Elliot says, thank you for your answer. I never knew you had done designs, and it was interesting to hear about it. I'm trying to design some of my own games, currently a deck-building worker placement game. Well, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I definitely, with, with my designs, I tended to, how did I, I tended to start with, like, a tiny idea and iterate it out from that um, with uh, Mutation, which was the, uh, the dice stacking game. I, I literally bought some dollar store dice, and I just rolled them on the table. And I just, I was like, oh, I rolled a pair. Maybe I'll stack those dice on top of each other. Oh, those two are next to each other. That's kind of interesting. And I was trying to see if rules kind of came out of the the, the woodwork to a certain extent. Like I just did random stuff and then saw if rules emerged and they kind of did. And I think that game is kind of cool. I don't think it's the best game ever, but um, that's that's the way I went about it. And, you know, um, combining different mechanics is, is a great way to start too. A, a deck building worker placement game. Yeah, that, I'm intrigued. I'd like to know more about that. All right, Marcelo asks, what would your dream game room look like? Well, my dream game room. Uh, I think my dream game room would have two of its walls, or maybe even three of its walls, with uh, a, a good library around it. Maybe not like floor-to-ceiling library. Like, that might be too much. But like a kind of floor-to-mid-height kind of library where I could organize all the games like that, which would let me put art on the walls around. Um, I would have consistent can lighting in the ceiling to make sure the lighting was great. And then I would want one wall to be just like a gigantic, uh, you know, window. Uh, that would be ideal. And honestly, our current game room is somewhat similar to that. We have a gigantic window in it, um, but uh, it's a bit echoey. We need to get carpet in there. But um, I think that's the, you know, the most ideal situation. Just pleasing colors, lots of games, uh, good audio, you know, good uh, 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 not much echo and then a uh, great lighting. Jumping back up here, 
Elliot says, uh, what would you consider the most underrated game that is a favorite of yours? Um, well, I, I've been asked this before, um, and I have a couple um, go-tos that, that I could think of. Um, I know I've talked about Equinox a lot, so I'm, I'm going to talk about something else. Equinox, by the way, is an underrated game that I think is excellent. Um, but another one that I really like is called Pioneers. It came out from Queen Games about three years ago or so, um, and it's got this really lean rule set with uh, some interesting ideas. Um, every single time I played it, I really enjoyed it, and no one talks about that game. Um, I remember when it first came out, it just, it just kind of did a blip in the pond of hype, and just nobody really cared, nobody really tweeted about it or made videos about it, it seemed like, and, uh, and then it was just gone. And then at some point, I had an opportunity to play it, and I was like, man, this game is great. So I have a copy of it. I've played it many times, and I don't see myself getting rid of it. Um, so yeah, that game is definitely underrated. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier in this Q&A, saying like it was a game that it'd be fun to get around to doing a playthrough for, but just hasn't made sense over time. Uh, moving on, Tony says, thanks for covering Mandala. Your impressions convinced me to pick it up, and my wife and I have been obsessed with it since the day it arrived. Have you had a chance to return to it? Yes, yes I have. Mandala is a super cool, uh, weird card game. It's a two-player-only card game. I talked about it um, at a decent length in an impressions vlog, and I have played it... I think just two more times since I covered it in the impressions vlog, uh, I played it with uh, another friend who was curious to try it, and we played two games back-to-back, because -back, it's a relatively quick game, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed both of those games, and the friend I played it with thoroughly enjoyed both of those games. It just seems like a classic two-player kind of game that just came out recently. Um, I really like the decisions. I love the push and pull, and I love the uh, pushing your luck of trying to figure out if you can squeak out another couple points, or maybe you should just, you know, pack things in and just take the points that you can see right now. Um, it's a really cool game. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, then check the impressions vlog that I put out about a month ago about Mandala. I thoroughly recommend that game. Like, that's one I'm certainly going to be acquiring a, a copy of once it makes sense. I've only played it on a, a tabletop simulator at this point. Uh, moving on, uh, David asks, what is your favorite mechanism that would draw you to that game right away? Let's see. Okay, so what's my favorite mechanism? Well, historically, and I think this is correct, I, for a long time I've said my favorite mechanism is incentivization in games, and I think that is still the case. Um, the quick and dirty uh, uh, explanation of that is um, kind of like in games like Small World or Essentially Spice Road, where you have things that you can take, and if you want to take a thing farther along, you have to put things on the things that you skip, so the things that you don't want get currency of some sort, and then at a certain point, someone will take that thing because the currency on it makes it good enough. And I think the reason I like incentivization so much as an idea is because it's a self-balancing system. Um, you know, in a, a game, uh, I'm totally blanking on the name of the game. Well, there's a game <laughs> that I'm totally blanking on where uh, some of the cards that you take are bad, and uh, you obviously wouldn't want to take them. But at a certain point, there will be enough stuff on that card that you actually decide that the penalty is not as bad as the benefit that you're getting. And um, I think that's just an even better example. And uh, as soon as I remember what that's called, I'll say what it is. Man, my brain is totally blanking. But um, if I see a game has incentivization mechanics, I am instantly interested in it. Oh, uh, there we go. <laughs> the name has been reminded to me. It's Forense. <laughs> Forense is the game I was talking about. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a brilliant uh, version of incentivization. If you're at all curious in how that works, definitely check that one out. I have covered my impressions of that one. I own the copy, and hey, that's another game. I'm kind of surprised I haven't gotten around to doing a uh, playthrough for because uh, that one's really cool. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, Daniel says, do you think you are in... Your forever home. Uh, no, I, I don't think I am in my forever home. I think I am in a potential forever home. Um, we, we bought this house a couple of years ago. It's big enough. Uh, it's got a you know a room that I could dedicate to being my studio. Um, it's got great spaces to hang out with friends, and it's got a little backyard. Um, I'm not sure if I want to live in the San Francisco Bay Area for my entire life. It's it's very expensive to live out here, but this is where all my friends are. Um, but not really any family at this point, so I don't know. Uh, I, I I it on the one hand wouldn't surprise me if I don't live here in ten years, and on the other hand, I could totally see myself living here in in ten years. Um, 
Could I be living here in 30 years? Yes, it's a possibility. We could live here in 30 years, but I kind of hope we've moved on a little bit, see a little bit more of the world, not stay in the same spot for that long. Um, we don't have kids, so that's not really tying us down. So I figure, yeah, at a certain point, I think we'll probably explore somewhere else. I've I've pretty much lived in the Bay Area my entire life in several different locations, and um, I think it's likely at some point that'll change. Uh, all right. Next up, Ross asks, do you stack your games horizontally or vertically? Uh, I stack them vertically. Uh, I've been doing that for pretty much ever. Um, if you look back in my vlogs, I have a playlist for the vlogs in the channel. Um, if you look back several years, I used to do all of my vlogs in front of my board game collection, and you can see that there. And in fact, this throws a lot of people off, and for some reason, my brain is weird, and I, I store my games backwards. You know, I know that on a bookshelf, your books are obviously vertical and they kind of read from the bottom up. And for some reason, I have no problem with that with books, but for some reason with board games, I don't like it. It just clashes with my brain. So I stack all my board games so that you read them from the top down in a vertical position. And um, that's really thrown some people off. Um, I can always tell if somebody else put a game back in my collection because it'll be upside down from my perspective. It's not like a pet peeve of mine or anything. Like I don't really mind if it's upside down, but it's definitely a strange thing. For some reason, my brain likes to do it that way. Um, I do kind of wish uh, inserts worked better for that because I think it's a better way to store games so you don't have all the weight kind of crushing down on top of them. But you know, it just kind of is what it is. Uh, all right, next up from Ross, what do you do that annoys people that you play with? Um, I, I think the thing that probably annoys people the most is I can be a complainer. I'll admit that. I really try not to, but um, I've definitely found myself in situations annoyed with myself because I think I'm not doing that well because some random crazy thing happened or like the, the draw of the cards or the roll of the dice just consistently isn't working out and I get frustrated and I start saying things like, oh, I've definitely lost this one or like, oh, you know, so-and-so is, you know, running away with it, like, you know, kind of a dirty eye, like they shouldn't be doing that well and that kind of thing. I can get a little bit too invested sometimes and I try to pull myself back out because I, I don't want to be that person. It certainly annoys me when other people do that around the table and then I find myself doing it and I just, I, I annoy myself. <laughs> so I try to police myself with it, but I don't know. It's firmly ingrained in my head. Sometimes I'm kind of a sore loser and I, I hate that about myself, but who knows? Maybe I'll get better at that <laughs> over time. Okay, so the next person is Owen, who is one of my best friends, and he answered the question for me. He said, every time he teaches a game, he includes, includes the phrase, basically at the end of the day. Uh, so you heard it right there from, <laughs> from my best friend's mouth. I've been playing board games with Owen for 12 years, and we were best men in each other's wedding. So, you know, if, if anyone's going to know the annoying things that I do in games, it's going to be him. So there you go. I say basically at the end of the day, too often for my friend Owen. I'm sorry, Owen. <laughs> Uh, all right, so moving on, uh, several people noticed that I meant Firenze. Thank you for catching that. I, I was having a total blank there. And uh, let's see here. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here's another friend of mine in the chat from Hung. Uh, so this apparently annoys Hung. He says, John stores his board games. Uh, the way I store my games annoys him the most. Every time I go over, it's always the wrong way. So there you go. Once again, from a friend who comes over to my house and sees all my games uh, stacked um, the, the wrong way. I guess I'm a, an annoying person. It's kind of amazing my friends uh, hang out with me at all. <laughs> but uh, they apparently do, although not so much recently. Uh, here we go. We got a question coming in from Owen. Uh, have you ever considered doing playthroughs for older games that might not be on other people's radars, specifically thinking of Shadowhunters for uh, some reason. Um, so there's definitely some pretext there. Um, I don't actually own a copy of Shadowhunters anymore, um, and Owen probably knows this. Uh, I've probably played Shadowhunters 30 plus times with Owen. Um, it's a very old game that we played a ton. Um, yeah, I mean, part of me would kind of like to do playthroughs more for older games. Uh, part of me wishes back when I wasn't doing sponsored playthroughs that I had done more older games, but before I was doing sponsored playthroughs, I was focused on um, doing the hotness. You know, I was trying to push my numbers, you know, like get more subscribers, get more viewers on the, the videos. And that, the way you do that is you cover new games. Um, these days, I do sometimes cover older games because they are selected by Patreon sponsors and whatnot. And I am very happy to do that. You know, I did uh, Concordia Venus uh, just a month or two ago, which is a couple years old at this point. And um, I've certainly covered some older games in that way. And I, I would love to do more of that stuff. But at the same time, I'm very busy um, all the time these days, which is, you know, a good problem to have. And to a certain extent, 
you know, these playthroughs, they take a lot of work. And I think if I was to have like an open week in my schedule, I think I would probably spend my time trying to get more ahead on the projects that are coming in than try to squeeze in, you know, a playthrough of Finca or something like that, even though I think that it would be fun to do a playthrough of Finca, but it would also be work to do a playthrough of Finca. And if I spent 10 hours doing that, which is probably about as much time as that would take, well, that's 10 hours I could be spending on something else and maybe things change in the future. And then I like the fact that I can get ahead. So, um, yeah, I guess in a perfect world, it'd be cool to do more of them. Um, I was kind of hoping um, when I first made the uh, contributing producer level um, supporter uh, tier for Patreon where people can request games, I was uh, initially hoping that that would cause more older games to get picked, and that has happened. Um, uh, more often than not, they have not been brand new games that have been covered, so that's sort of filled that niche in, but to a certain extent, the games have to be picked for that as well. All right. Um, and I don't think I see myself doing Shadowhunters at any point in time soon. Um, uh, that, that game, I don't actually think it's very good, but, you know, we've played it like 30 times and we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, all right, so moving on, David says, do you have any rulebook pet peeves or gaming pet peeves? Um, yes, I must. I must have some. Uh, I'm not thinking of any at this point. Well, I, I can tell you what, uh, from a rulebook perspective, I, I have some opinions. My opinions are not that there is a right way to do a rulebook in a wrong way, but there is a right way for me. And that is that I want to see the um, components list and then I want to see the setup. And then I want to see how the game plays from a structure perspective with the breakdown of how each thing works inside that structure. That's my favorite way to read a rulebook. That's kind of the way I teach my um, playthroughs. And it it's a bit of a pet peeve when I open up a rule book and the first thing that I see is like key concepts and it starts showing me cards and I don't even know what these cards are. And it's talking about the text on the cards and, you know, um, key interactions. And then it gets around to doing the setup and then it gets around to showing the flow because those key concepts mean nothing to me if I don't know how the game flows, if I don't know how the game is even set up. And again, I'm not sitting here to say that that is a like uh, subjectively, or I guess objectively wrong way to do rule books. People do it for some reason. Obviously some people must like that, but um, I don't. I, I think that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. Um, as far as other pet peeves, I can't really think of anything right now. I'm sure there are some, but um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on it. Uh, moving on, Luke says, am I a bad person if I count plays on Board Game Geek Tracker when I play all the players like you do on your playthroughs? No, you're definitely not a bad person. I mean, I think that... I've been a sucker for tracking things for pretty much my whole life. Um, I, I love tracking. I, I love stats in that way. I'm not like into statistician type stuff. Like those equations and stuff uh, I think are pretty magic that don't make sense to me. But um, I like tracking things so that I can look back and see where things have gone. So I started logging my plays in 2010 um, because of that, because I wanted to see the games that I played. And to each his own, really. You know, if, if you log plays of solo playthroughs playing multi-handed, then then that's information that you hypothetically want to have. Uh, when I first started doing playthroughs, I did log them, and I logged them as playthroughs, but as time went on, I kept forgetting to do that. I think part of my habit of remembering to log my plays has to do with coming to the end with everybody else around the table. Um, so at a certain point, I just stopped logging that, which works for me, but that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So yeah, you're definitely not a bad person. You, you do what you want with the data that you decide to log. Let's move on. Uh, Scamp says, are there any games on your Railroad Rail Revolution radar, meaning you're currently hoping for an expansion or an updated version to fix them? That's an interesting way to put it. So yeah, the, the context for that one is uh, Railroad Revolution was a wonderful game that was cripplingly flawed, in my opinion. And then an expansion, I, I saved it for years, hoping an expansion would have come out and uh, fix it. And then fortunately, an expansion did come out and it totally fixed it. So I'm super happy and Railroad Evolution is one of my favorite games. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are a couple of games that must fit into that category. For a long time, I kept Nations the Dice Game, hoping for an expansion to fix that. But then the expansion came out, and I never got around to playing it. So I guess that was kind of silly. Um, let's see. I know I'm kind of keeping uh, Heaven and Ale for that. Uh, and I know an expansion just came out for Heaven and Ale. But my problem with Heaven and Ale was primarily that there wasn't enough variety with the endgame scoring. And the expansion didn't 
fix that. The, the expansion just came in with a new module to latch on to make the game more complicated. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want the game to be more complicated. I just want more stuff. I want like a mini expansion, like a little content pack for Heaven and Ale. I haven't actually played Heaven and Ale in years because I felt like after playing it three times, I'd kind of seen everything the game had to offer and I didn't want to totally burn out on it because mechanically it's super cool. Like it's a, it's a very cool system. Um, that probably There's probably a couple other games on my shelf that match this, but I can't think of them at the moment. Um, I try not to keep uh, games around. I know that um, one of them was uh, the Lewis and Clark dice game, uh, Discoveries, Discoveries, I think it was called. We kept that one for years, hoping for an expansion to breathe some new life into that because we really liked that system. Uh, and that expansion never came. So at a certain point, we got rid of the game because unfortunately that just wasn't happening. Um, all right. Uh, so follow up. Are there any games that you just want a graphical or component upgrade to do and nothing else? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't really care how, what a board game looks like. I mean, if there's beautiful artwork, cool. I like beautiful artwork. If there's fancy components, cool. That That's great. I have no problem with that. But I also have no problem playing games with prototype components. Like as long as the game is fun, I don't super care about the art. I mean, again, if it's there, I'll totally take it. But um, I, I rarely care about like upgrading things. You know, I know that there is an upgrade pack with nice component bits for Underwater Cities, which is one of my favorite games. But it was kind of expensive. It was like 30 plus dollars. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine with the cardboard chits. Sure, they're a little bit annoying. The three chits are a little bit annoying, but I don't really want to spend that much money to bling it out because that just works fine for me. All right. Next question. What is your favorite Berkeley restaurant, specifically pizza? Uh, pizza in Berkeley is pretty easy to answer. I, I really like Jupiter's. Um, it's in downtown Berkeley. Uh, they make their pizza there, and they are also a brewery, and they make some pretty great beer. Uh, they've got an outdoor patio with some fire pits. I've... I've been there many times. I've had lots of fond memories of eating uh, the garlic bread before we get the pizza, drinking a pint of beer that they brewed there. It's it's a really solid uh, spot for uh, uh, for pizza. Uh, <laughs> the next person was hung. He said, there are only two valid answers, Cheeseboard and Zachary's. And interestingly enough, I didn't say either of those. Cheeseboard and Zachary's are fine, but Jupiter's, in my opinion, is uh, where it's at. All right, so moving on. Paul says, is there a friendly competition to be the first YouTuber to review new games quicker than each other, like with Rodney Rado, the Dice Tower guys. Um, I don't think so. I, I think I see what you're saying. Like, you know, uh, are we all, you know, doing a friendly jostle to try and cover things quickly? Um, maybe for some people, but I, I don't really live in that world anymore, especially now that I... Um, I don't do reviews anymore. Like I, there was a time where I definitely tried to get reviews out as fast as possible and where I tried to get um, playthroughs out as fast as possible um, because, you know, of the hype train and all that. But fortunately, now that this is a job of mine, I can focus on my schedule and not really focus on trying to chase the hype, if that makes sense. it's It can be kind of exhausting doing that. I remember when I got my copy of First Martians that was sent over to me by Portal Games. Um, they, uh, this was not sponsored. This is before I was doing sponsored uh, tutorials or maybe around the time I started, uh, but it wasn't sponsored. It showed up. I was so surprised. I ran back upstairs and I went online uh, and I opened the game up and I started learning it. And uh, spoiler, that game had a lot of problems, but I knew that I had the opportunity to be the first person to put out a video on that game uh, because I had all these questions. I went on Board Game Geek and there were no posts at all in the rules forum, like none. I was like, holy crap. I'm like the first person with this game and these rules make no freaking sense. <laughs> so I sent Ignasi an email with all these questions that night um, and he sent me back the answer and I furiously made the playthrough for it the next day and got it out as fast as possible because at that point, that game was so hyped and I wanted to be the first one out. Um, now, that wasn't necessarily a friendly competition with other people. I mean, I'm sure that the Dice Tower got that game and furiously tried to cover that as well. Um, so I guess, you know, it's a friendly competition in the fact that we're not like, uh, mean-spirited or angsty at each other in any way, but I, I don't think we really uh, interact in that way overall. I know that um, I jumped through some hoops to be one of the first people to cover uh, Great Western Trail with the playthrough for that one. I actually uh, couldn't go to Essen that year, but I convinced somebody to buy a copy and then ship it to me once they got home, and then I paid them so that I could cover that game as soon as humanly possible because, again, the hype train. Um, but I'm also, again, very happy to be off of that train. 
Um, next question. Um, have you ever attended Tokyo Game Market? How familiar are you with the Japanese Taiwanese games? If so, any recommendations? Um, the short answer to that is no. Um, I've never been to Asia at all. Um, the Tokyo Games Market seems interesting. Like I, I definitely follow uh, W. Eric Martin's coverage of it when he goes to it uh, most years. Um, I think that there's a lot of cool stuff that comes out of that market, but I don't follow it really very closely at all. Like the closest I do is again, that coverage that I see that uh, Eric Martin puts up onto Board Game Geek. So um, I don't really have any recommendations beyond recommending Eric Martin's coverage of the Tokyo Games Market. Maybe someday, I don't know. Um, you know, I I tend to prioritize going to conventions besides BGGCon, that's just vacation. I tend to prioritize going to conventions where I can um, you know, work well, um, you know, continue my contacts with uh, other clients and try to get new clients. And I'm sure I could potentially get new clients at the Tokyo Games Market, but also at the same point, I am already like almost at max capacity with the, the YouTube channel. So to a certain extent, I don't really need to ask for more work. So it hasn't been a high priority, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, Dreis asks, uh, what is my favorite uh, Lacerda game? Uh, so Batal Lacerda, and he's designed many games at this point, and I've played a lot of them. Um, I would say on average, I'm not a huge fan of his games. I, I'm, I'm very neutral, I, I guess, if that makes sense. I'm not uh, negative uh, versus his games, but um, I, let's see, I've played uh, The Gallerist, I've played Vinhos, I've played Kanban, I have played... Um, uh, the Mars one, which I can't think of the name of at this point, and many others, uh, several others anyway, Lisboa. Um, I think if I had to put my finger on my favorite one, it would probably be The Gallerist. Um, I no longer own my copy, but I think I've had the highest high while playing The Gallerist, if that makes sense. Um, it's a game about collecting art and whatnot, and uh, I remember playing a four-player game of that once where I was doing so well, and man, it just... It felt so good. I was just, I was just like beaming about how awesome that game was going. Um, I will admit, some of my friends around the table were having a miserable experience in that moment, <laughs> but um, I think I would probably um, peg on that because of it. Um, okay, so at this point, uh, there are a couple more questions coming in, and I, I kind of can't help myself. I'll answer a couple more, but I do want to wrap this up very soon. Uh, let's see here. Lucho says. Um, Oh no, John Wheeler says, have you considered having someone help you with the channel? Um, yes, I have thought about that long and hard and I don't see that happening. Um, I, I just don't see how another person could help me out in a way that would financially make sense for myself and that other person. Um, I spend a ton amount of time writing emails, but it'd be hard to have somebody else write emails for me. And again, I barely make a living making this make sense anyway. So if somebody else was to help me out, then that person would also need to be paid, and I, I just don't see how that would make sense. And again, the way I fill my playthroughs, if I had somebody here sitting right next to me, maybe it would speed the process up by even 50%. But again, like, that person would need to be paid a fair wage, and I just, I, I'm, it's, being, it's weird being self-employed, uh, period. And the idea of dipping into the waters of, like, having a part-time employee, that's just something I, I kind of hope to never get to. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe something like that will happen at a certain point. Uh, so now for the official final question, we have David. Uh, they ask, uh, since you often review prototypes for Kickstarters, has there ever been a game where you did not like it initially, but then played it, played the post-production copy, uh, Sorcerer City, perhaps? Um, this is an interesting question. So I've never actually reviewed prototypes, um, like given my subjective opinion on a game based off of a prototype. That's uh, even back in the day when I did Kickstarter previews, I, I tried to keep those as objective as possible, even though I wasn't being paid for those. You know, this is talking like five, six years ago. I think um, this has probably happened before, you know, a game that I wasn't super taken with at first, but then played the final version. But um, I have a hard time really putting my finger down on it. So unfortunately, I don't have a, a, a great answer for you there. Um, I, I do think that playing prototypes can be fun. Once again, I don't mind playing prototypes, but you know, playing a final copy is oftentimes better because the wording is better and the iconography makes more sense and all, all that overall. Um, and you know, for instance, with Sorcerer City, I made a playthrough with the prototype, but I didn't actually play that prototype, I think, with anybody else. So my first real impression of playing that game with other people was with the final production copy. So it, it didn't super make sense. Uh, it doesn't super make sense to uh, compare those two. So uh, yeah, I think that is going to uh, wrap this one up. Um, thank you so much to everyone. There's 36 people here right now and there's been about that many floating the entire time and it, uh, I really appreciate it. It's 
Uh, these are fun. I know I'm a broken record. I say every month I'm like, these are fun. I'm glad I do these, but these are fun, and I'm glad I do these. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's fun to answer these questions. Sometimes they're um, similar to questions I've heard before, and sometimes you uh, people can really throw me for a loop. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you for joining in. Um, next month, I'm not sure what date or time it will be, but it will not be at this time. Um, it, I'm again trying to scattershot these times. Like maybe I'll even go later on to catch some other people. But either way, I think that is going to bring this uh, live Q and A vlog to a close. So thanks for listening.